This meeting is being recorded. You're listening to Irish Radio Canada at Home and Abroad. And at this time of the year, it's while many people start out the year with New Year's resolutions, January is that month where you kind of settle down and start to reflect and look to the future. And uh, I've been honoured over the last number of years to be able to have conversation with the Irish Ambassador and the Consul General in Vancouver. And we have covered off highlights of the year gone by and a look to the year ahead. And I'm delighted to, again to be able to sit and have a chat with Ambassador Emma McKee and Consul General Frank Flood in Vancouver. Uh, both of you, first of all, thanks a million for coming along. Uh, great to have you here uh, in this uh, beautiful, cold eastern Canada and apparently misty western Canada. So uh, we, we suffer from the cold and, and uh, the Consul General suffers from the damp. Uh, Ambassador, um, first of all, first of all, uh, the last year and since you've come to, to Canada, uh, it has been a challenge just to be able to do your normal functions, get out, meet people, uh, build relationships on every level. You've been um, hamstrung by having to do a lot of it virtually. And as things have started to open up, it has allowed you to get out there more. So I suppose in many ways, this was nearly your first year. Great to be here and uh, to, to be with you and to be with Frank and, and Happy New Year to you and all your listeners. Yeah, talking about the cold, I mean, there's a six-foot icicle outside my uh, outside my house here and it's minus 23 or something. It's, oh, but uh, you get used to anything. Yeah, it's a very well-taken point. You know, on previous postings, you would do a lot of receptions to, to the point where you'd kind of say, oh, my God, not another reception. And when you don't have them, you realise how much you miss. I mean, they really are essential to get out and meet people and network. There's just no, there's really no substitute for that. But the kind of the new frontier is the virtual meeting. And we've learned, we've learned how to do this. And it's got advantages. There's no doubt about that. If you go back to St. Patrick's Day last year, for example, we did a virtual reception um, <clears throat> from, from, from the embassy, from the residents rather, but using some material that we got from Dublin. And I was thinking, you know, people are going to be, they're going to be tired of the virtual meetings and all of that. So we kept it to half an hour. And it turned out the main reaction was A, it was great. And B, it should be longer, you know, because it allowed everybody to participate in, in an online event. So it certainly has advantages. And I think it's got advantages for a country as expansive as Canada. Um, that said, uh, there, there's, there's no beating. You know, doing events and, 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 and being out there. And I found that with trips to Vancouver, where Frank had a fantastic program, a trip to Toronto as well, and a trip to, to Nova Scotia. Um, and, and of course, I had to cancel twice. I canceled trips to the Midwest because of, um, to the Prairie States, as it were, because of, of COVID and so on. So yeah, it, it, it doesn't feel like I've really arrived in Canada in a, in a strange kind of way. It's been, it's quite partial. Um, but we've done an awful lot, uh, both the consulate and the embassy in terms of, of virtual events. Um, reflecting on the year, you know, and I was thinking about coming on the show and, and talking about this. I, I'd said there's a couple of points. One, I think we take from 2021 resilience as being a great lesson. You know, we found in Ireland that our health systems actually proved to be robust and resilient in uh, leading the way with, with, um, with vaccinations. Um, we found that the people themselves were very resilient. Uh, they were prepared to take those vaccinations, go into the queues, you know, make the bookings and, and get on with life in a way. Um, we have certainly shown that the uh, the economy has proven to be resilient. 
uh, because the strength of the economy in digital services, pharmaceuticals, financial services, uh, those med tech, they've all been absolutely required in, in facing the, the pandemic. Um, we've shown as well that the Northern Ireland peace process is very resilient. The Northern Ireland protocol uh, has been very much a squaring of the circle when it came to Brexit and its impact on the island. Um, so that's that's been been, uh, been been again a demonstration of resilience and commitment. Um, working from home has been a new a new frontier for us. Uh, we have to quite figure out what the modality is in the balance. I do think that you need to have your team around you back in the workplace, uh, but there are ways that you can manage it too. Um, so yeah, it's been an interesting year in in an odd kind of way, in a reassuring year. That no matter what the pandemic threw at us, and it seemed to keep coming back, you know, we've been managing it pretty well uh, to the point now where, you know, last Saturday at 6 a.m., the Irish government pretty much removed more or less all of the restrictions. Um, a strange moment of relief and disbelief, I think, um, you know, and, and we're looking forward to doing that here in Canada as well and, and hopefully having a very different uh, year ahead. But um, maybe uh, maybe Frank would like to offer a few thoughts. Yeah, that's right. I couldn't agree more. Um, it was a, a strange year last year. We did show our resilience. Um, and uh, I must say, certainly the Irish community here, uh, they switched to virtual events. We had a very successful St. Bridges virtual event. Unfortunately, it's coming up this weekend. And another great program uh, being organized by more of the previous and our team. And unfortunately, that has had to go virtual. And... Um, as well, and that constant support and the ambassador be taking part, and uh, we're really looking forward to that this weekend. But um, I would say the last year we, we moved to the hybrid uh, model in, in the concepts, and we had blended business breakfast. So the last one in December, we had uh, 25 people in the consulate function room, um, in line with provincial guidelines, and we had uh, 20 people uh, online virtually, and. Uh, the one thing is, uh, I would say is, you know, the, I don't particularly like the virtual world uh, and working on that blended basis, but it does bring people in. And uh, it was great for um, our St. Patrick's Day event here. And the, the concept, like the embassy, was pure virtual. But we have people taking part from Victoria, with people taking part from Kelowna. And it is very inclusive. And, you know, we will build on that and... Uh, I really look forward to uh, the day we get things going again in person. And, you know, there was a lot of progress made last year and the uh, resilience shone through. And, you know, we've now got more GA teams in uh, Vancouver now than we ever had. And we did another one coming through, you know. We had 500 people down in uh, September there for the, you know, the final games down in Burnaby. And, um, you know, when there's gaps, in the opening, and uh, when the COVID pandemic eases off, people are ready to go. And uh, we're not getting off a great start in 2022, but certainly I think there's a big pent-up interest in getting out there and getting involved and getting going, and uh, the resilience has shown through, you know. So at this stage, I think I was just saying to you earlier, I think it's a bit of a cranky cranky January in, uh, in Vancouver. Anyhow, everybody's just 
had opened this uh, whole shebang uh, at this stage, but uh, people are ready to go and ready to get moving. And direct flights from Vancouver to Ireland start on June 3rd. Yeah, no, I certainly echo that from Frank. I mean, one thing that struck me very forcibly, we just went to, to Halifax in Nova Scotia before Christmas, and it's just that point, there's pent-up energy and, and readiness to kind of get going. Um, now, unfortunately, after Halifax, then we have a lot of follow-on from that visit, actually. But while we were there, we got to shut down because of the, 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 the super spreader event that they had, unfortunately. But absolutely, I think Frank is right, and people are are, are getting ready to go, you know. I'd also say that um, we've, we're finishing the second annual report from the embassy, um, which we should have online over the, by next week. Uh, and that gives you a good indication of what we can do during the year. So, for example, we had 145 events, uh, most of them virtual, but still very, very useful. You know, um, I'm happy to say that I gave a talk on ancient Ireland and all the remains of us. And we got, uh, I think, 1,600 views of that already, which was great. Shows the kind of interest in Irish heritage, actually. Um, we ended up with 968,000 uh, Twitter impressions, which is pretty good. Uh, we dealt with 18 very complex consular cases that required reporting to Dublin. Uh, we dispensed, uh, let me get the right figure here, we dispensed uh, $492,659 to Irish organizations through immigrant support uh, program funding. Um, you know, so it, it was a quite a productive year, actually. You know, in in, in many ways, notwithstanding notwithstanding all the all, all the difficulties. But we have that report online, and people can get a good idea of what we were up to in 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 2021. Um, and and before heading back to you, Austin, um, just to say as well, of course, that the commitment to Canada uh, has been demonstrated yet again. Uh, we're opening up a consulate in Toronto uh, in the coming summer, which is a fantastic uh, decision by the Irish government. Um, and that means we'll have two consulates and the embassy. And we're also hoping by uh, the fall to have in place a cultural attaché, which has also been agreed by Dublin. So I think there are signs of the investment that the government is making in the relationship, and it's, it augurs very well for a, for a bright future. Uh, ambassador, in your situation as the ambassador here in Ottawa, um, making connections at a diplomatic level, at government level, at ministerial level, uh, that must have been a lot more challenging because the ability, as you identified there, since you came, you were kind of in, in nearly under house arrest. Um, so the, <laughs> abil- the ability to actually uh, shake hands with people and build that personal relationship for which the Irish are so good at doing, um, that must yeah. have been a yeah. real challenge to try and lay that groundwork for yourself oh no absolutely uh, you, you just you don't have the opportunities they're just not generated because we've had successive kind of shutdowns and, and so on and also don't forget we have an election um uh, in the year as well so that means that kind of things go go quiet during the election and then new ministers are coming in but you're right until we can until we can kind of uh meet them it's very difficult to establish that relationship and we, we did we had for example we hosted a lunch for um, the, uh, the Newfoundland and Labrador Minister for for Tourism, which was great, and and the Prime Minister's uh, uh, the Premier's uh, staffers actually um, had a good meeting with James O'Regan, you know, and and so uh, St Patrick's Day that's upcoming, hopefully we'll be operating in a less restrictive environment. St Patrick's Day is always the great platform for us to outreach, you know. And uh, James Maloney, the the head of our parliamentary friendship group, of course, last year. Uh, promulgated the Irish Heritage Month, which I think was a really significant achievement that we're going to build on. 
But yes, in fact, you say writ large is our way of, of outreaching and connecting um, to that reservoir of goodwill that, that, that was so evident during the uh, passage of the of the uh, resolution on, on an Irish Heritage Month. We don't know yet um, whether we'll have ministerial travel. Uh, I, get, I gather from headquarters that there's a there's pretty much pent up demand for for traveling and getting out, which is fully understandable. So we're hoping to benefit with uh, some with a ministerial visit to Canada for St Patrick's Day. But uh, hopefully St Patrick's Day will look a bit more normal, you know. But uh, yeah, that is the that is the way we 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 connect with people. And I know out west, um, Frank, you would you've been here long enough where you were able to establish those relationships, um, and now you're coming into the twilight of your posting um so uh, a different setup for you you've you've had you've had the the personal relationships built up over the years so it wouldn't have been as big a challenge for you uh, no that doesn't that's that's fair that would be a fair comment i'd accept that uh, i don't like that twilight comment you know and I'm not dying out her, you know i still got to <laughs> august uh, you know so right. looking forward to my uh, for the rest of the year um, but certainly, you know, I mean, like, uh, great sympathy for the, the ambassador when, since he came. I mean, we eventually got uh, the ambassador here to Vancouver in uh, September, the end of September. And he had a fantastic visit, and it was a pleasure to have uh, himself and his uh, lovely wife, Mary, over. And uh, we had a great visit, and we had a, our first uh, our first opening, official opening, the community, Irish community opening. And we had a great night. First Nations were involved. A bit of dancing, and uh, you know, it uh, it was just uh, everybody was so happy to actually get out and and, uh, and meet people and engage. Uh, and but of course, it happened in one of these break in the in the pandemic clouds. And no sooner had uh, the ambassador come uh, and gone, then we were back into blended, and now we're in total um, non-event, back to full virtual. Um, well, I, I, I am optimistic for the last few months for this year, and um, certainly for, for Q2, that we will be back in person. And th- to be fair, the Irish community here, the, the Celtic Fest organizers, they've raised $200,000 uh, <coughs> for this year's uh, St. Patrick's Day Festival, which will be a week-long event around uh, NBC. We're, we're working to have an event in hopefully in something in Kelowna and certainly in Victoria and, and to build on previous years. Um, and that in Q2, in the second quarter, um, I expect uh, Tourism Ireland will be in, uh, in Western Canada. I know uh, I'm expecting a mining exploration mission. Uh, we're expecting a big education mission in June to come over um, this part of the world and, uh, and film. So, I mean, the things are, as I was saying earlier, things are moving on. And uh, the, the pent-up demand is there and people are ready to go and hopefully they'll... Uh, We'll see people coming and going and meeting in person and, and enjoying life and celebrating St. Patrick's Day at St. Bridges Festival next year, please God, in person. Yeah, I'd like to I personally commend uh, Frank actually for, for his job there over the last four years. You know, one of the scariest jobs in foreign affairs is to go off and, and to go off and set up a new mission because, um, you know, normally as ages people, though I have to say Frank doesn't look like he's a day older than, than when I met him 20 years ago. But anyway, <laughs> he's, I know they put him through the ringer setting up because I mean, you have to get, you have to, you know, find an office, lease an office, you know, you've got to fit it out. And uh, these are not easy processes as well as going out and about and establishing yourself and proving 
that actually it was a good decision to set up there. But Frank has done a fantastic job um, establishing. I mean, it's, when I was there, it didn't feel like he was he was only there four years. It felt like he was there much longer, which was a real commendation um, for his efforts. And indeed, of course, to acknowledge uh, all of his his wife as well. Where you know we we are very much teams when it comes to operating abroad and establishing ourselves. You know, but the visit was was great. It really was a fantastic visit. Great sense of energy in her and a relief actually to feel that you're doing your job, you know. But yeah, I'd really like to commend Frank for for his um establishment of the consulate there and, and validating it. And I think in way in a way the, the success of Vancouver certainly helped us make the case for Toronto as well, you know. So Ambassador, you mentioned how uh, there it was a robo- robust economy um during the last twelve months, despite um COVID. And I recall that the tax take in uh, Ireland was more than anticipated and and that the expenditure was below with the result that the deficit is below what was anticipated as well. And I also noticed that um, Enterprise Mm -hmm. Ireland uh, in their recent report indicated a huge, uh, great growth in jobs in the last 12 months as well uh, for the Enterprise Ireland companies. And as far as I recall, the foreign direct investment in the last 12 months was also in a way ahead of expectations. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a testament to a few things. Uh, it's certainly a testament to um, the commitment that Ireland has to globalization, uh, to talent and to innovation. I mean, if you look back on the kind of Irish economic history, you could really start to date from the 1950s when the, the IDA was set up and we went searching for foreign direct investment because, of course, we'd lost our industrial base through partition and we were one big farm. Um, you know, our commitment to joining the, 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 uh, European economic community as it was then, uh, back in 1973. Um, and all that's flowed from that, our search for foreign direct investment, particularly tapping into the diaspora, you know, notably in the United States, um, developing our, our indigenous base, which I think we have a lot more work to do on, by the way. I mean, I think uh, we, we'd all agree that foreign direct investment has been a huge engine in the Irish economy, but Having foreign direct investment was never the point. The point really was to develop our economy, which has worked really well. Our membership of the European Union has been a huge uh, advantage to us. You know, not not simply in in the investment that Europe has made in our development, um, not simply in the the EU standards uh, that we we have to comply with, and you know, EU standards in in commodities and production and everything else are now global standards. You know, countries all around the world, not remotely near near Europe, are 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 setting their products to the EU standard because they're regarded as the best. But it's also the fact that, in a way, you know, in joining both the UN, but in particularly the European Union, Ireland kind of took its place among the nations of the world. You know, as as as, as Emmett had had predict, predicted and anticipated. Um, and I think it it gives the lie to those countries who think they can go their own way. You know, um, Ireland has prospered because we've engaged and embraced the world out there, even though, you know, our physical connection with the world is, is limited enough being an island off the western coast. But we've proven that actually it really is possible to be an economic success. Um, and that resilience was demonstrated in the global financial crisis as well and is now being demonstrated in, in, in the pandemic. Um, because Ireland is a very advanced economy, highly integrated. And you see it in both governments and in the private sector. Those companies that had embraced digital technology were the ones who have been, who have been able to uh, prosper in the midst of the pandemic, you know. 
um, because digitization allows you to do that. Um, it's not that the challenges aren't over, but certainly our system has constantly evolved in response to the outside world. So if you go back to the, the, the start of foreign direct investment, you know, we're doing kind of screwdriver stuff, basic stuff, car assemblies and computers and things like that. But over the years, and this has been the strength of the idea, they have constantly moved the frontier forward with the economy. You know, so now we're doing pharmaceuticals and med tech and digital services. You know, you look at the companies that are there, Facebook, PayPal, Google, you know, and uh, Microsoft and so on. Um, so I think um, I think that's also the future. You know, we're going to stay at the heart of the European uh, Union. Um, and I think that for Canadian businesses, you know, Ireland is the place to look uh, when you want to expand and diversify uh, your trade and your markets, you know, and, and I think that's why, you know, um, from the economic point of view, CETA and the bilateral relationship between Ireland and Canada is, is, is very, uh, is, is, is very hopeful indeed. When you mentioned CETA, I, I know there's, there was a challenge, um, in Ireland, uh, yeah. and that was kicked out and basically CETA is now at a point where, uh, it's all systems are go. Um, does that put more pressure or open doors for you at the embassy and also out at the consulate uh, that this calling card of CETA uh, makes transactions more possible or easier to achieve? Yeah, well, a couple of us, there's still, there's still a court case pending. There's still another one kind of in the system. So not, we're not quite there yet, um, but we're getting there. The other point, of course, is that before ratification, an awful lot of standards and procedures are aligned anyway. So the message is getting out there uh, in terms of Ireland being the place to go. And we've seen an increase in investment and we've seen an increase in trade uh, very much so because of CETA. So that's there. And it is it is a, call, a calling card. In fact, when it, uh, we had our, our kind of first meeting of the European homes, one of the points that emerged there was that we need to do more to advertise the fact that CETA is there and the European Union is there because the focus in, in Canadian business is always on the United States. I mean, you just, it's the big kahuna. It, 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 it's where they look to when 70% of their trade is there and so on. Um, so it takes an active effort for Canadian companies to kind of look to the European Union, but it's happening increasingly, uh, because I think, um, you know, Canada and Canadian business has realized that market diversification is, is part of the package of resilience that you need. Um, the pandemic has shown that, you know, supply chains can be a bit vulnerable uh, and so on. Um, but, yeah, I think I think the um, the uh, the future of Canada and Europe is, is definitely a calling card. And I'd like to do, you know, a bit of a shout out for Irish Chambers uh, across Canada. They do a great job as well in networking, creating events. Uh, I mean, it has been a frustrating year from that point of view. But the year ahead, I think, looks very, very promising. Frank, do you want to come in on that? Yeah, yeah I couldn't agree more. And I suppose the, uh, to give an example, the local level, um, the European Union and uh, Council Generals came together um, during the pandemic. And over the last year, um, we've been working together closely um, to pre- present uh, a united front on behalf of the European Union and to promote the single market. And... Uh, I think it was April, May, we met with, uh, we had a few ministerial briefings and uh, certainly the BC authorities and the BC uh, provincial government took on board the uh, the importance of CISA and uh, 
there was plans for uh, Premier Horgan to get to Europe and uh, with some other ministers. And uh, unfortunately, with the pandemic, uh, this didn't happen. But it did indicate to us, and it was put to us, that the first place that um, BC wanted to look to when uh, travel happened and when tra- uh, trade missions happened was to was to Europe and the EU and CJ is a big part of that and it gives us a big calling card and at the moment uh, just this week I'm involved in two initiatives, one is on the clean tech side, on agri-tech and uh, water clean technology and uh, we also have uh, another initiative taking taking part with uh, Metro Vancouver and talking to uh, the mayors of 23 municipalities all because people are interested in the EU and doing business. And uh, we all have to grow back better than what what we were before. Um, This time last year, in fact, Brexit was just um, starting. And it's been a a year where the impact uh, was being felt. Um, It's still not finalised. It's still out there that between extensions and a variety of things and the full impact but the link between Ireland and mainland Europe has grown considerably and, and a redirection um, is there a ripple effect on that and Brexit it, uh, with it, the impact that it is having on Ireland, is there an impact on that on the relationship and what you guys are trying to do here in Canada um, well, you know, it's kind of, it was a bit of a puzzle to me actually when I came here first was that Brexit didn't seem to have landed on, 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 on the radar screen at all. Um, and it was quite interesting. And, and it only, it, it took me a while to puzzle this out. But looking at it from the Canadian perspective, the Canadian view of Europe was fundamentally shaped by involvement in World War One and World War Two. Uh, and it, it looked, it looked, it looked to Europe from a defense security intelligence point of view through the relationship. And I think that still remains a very strong uh, point for Canada. They see Europe through the North Atlantic axis. Um, so therefore, the, uh, you know, uh, in regard to, you know, primarily as a member of the European Union, Britain is obviously a very key partner for them, but also, of course, they're, they're, they share a sovereign head of state. Um, but very much um, influenced by that whole experience of World War II and all the alliances and cooperation and partnerships that came with that through NATO and so on. So I think that partial, that certainly to me explains why Brexit made kind of a limited impact uh, because of the strength of the bilateral relationship between Canada uh, and, and, and Britain. Um, uh, but in terms of Brexit impact, in, in, its impact on Ireland, you're absolutely right. I mean, you look at the number of ferries uh, that are now transporting Irish and the passengers direct to Europe and bypassing Britain, which up until Brexit was what we call the land bridge. It was much easier for trucks to cross to, 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 to Hollyhead and drive through Britain into Europe. Now they're diverting. Um, what you've got is a displacement of trade actually from Dublin to Belfast and more trade has gone up from that point of view. But it was fascinating to see that in a survey uh, just before the end of the year of Northern Ireland manufacturers, the vast majority were very much in favour of the protocol because it gave them the best of both worlds. They're both uh, in the European Customs Union, effectively in the EU for trade purposes, and they're also in the British one. 
So, you know, um, they see the future as being, you know, as, as taking advantage of that unique position, which we negotiated through the Northern Ireland Protocol. There was certainly a period uh, in, in November where um, we were concerned that Britain might invoke Article 16, which would put the protocol back on the table again. That moment seems to have passed um, and uh, the appetite for a kind of renewed uh, period of tension with the European Union has, has, has thankfully been superseded. Um, and so I think we're, we're in a better position um, and things are settling down on the protocol. Um, there is current negotiations going on between the British, um, uh, their foreign secretary, Liz Truss, and between Sigovich, the, the EU commissioner responsible. Um, but they're down to very practical kind of details to, to ensure um, the, the, the minimum uh, number of uh, checks and so on, consistent with maintaining European standards uh, within the European market uh, uh, as it affects Northern Ireland. So I think we're I think we're 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 hopeful that the year ahead will see this bedding down. Um, yeah. So I, yeah, I think the worst is over. I think on that on that front. Um. 1922 is a big year in Irish history, and we're on the 100 years. Um, have you guys plans on this side of the country and out on the west that will bring any attention to our that 1922? Well, I was just actually at a meeting yesterday about St. Patrick's Day, and I, I raised this as kind of a, a, a thematic uh, point for us of, of demonstrating, you know, that that. Um, uh, we're now 100 years at stage, and, and I think it's it's it, certainly from the from our perspective uh, in Vancouver and in, and in in Ottawa, um, I think it's an important message to get out there for Canadians that we are we are independent. You sort of, I'm not sure every Canadian knows. I think we're sometimes I think we are lumped in with Britain still necessarily, and and Brexit probably hasn't done anything to dispel that. But um, so yeah, I think uh, I think we will be promulgating that. I think the the uh, the initial commemoration around January was lost a little bit because of the pandemic. So um, I've been in discussions with headquarters about how we can kind of uh, bring in renewed focus to 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 uh, 1922 and uh, 100 years later and the establishment of of the state. It is a time, I think, to reflect on you know the advances that we've made in in 100 years compared to you know, the deterioration in Ireland for the preceding couple of hundred years. And, and we are, I think Ireland is, for all our faults and so on, we are, given the achievements, uh, a great example of, of the, the genius of, of uh, self-determination. You know, you, you know we, we have done far better running our own affairs um, than, 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 than we did as a, as, a, as a colony. And I think we have to take pride in that, absolutely. You know, and we've ended in voluntary immigration. For example, you know, uh, over the next two years, it looks like we're going to generate, according to uh, projections, 167,000 jobs. Um, and if people want jobs in Ireland, they can get them. Uh, we certainly have challenges. You know, our health, our health uh, systems need to take stock of the pandemic and lessons learned there. We have an issue around housing, which the government is 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 tackling, but it's not uh, an issue confined to Ireland, everybody's got that issue and that, that's certainly going to be a major challenge for us. Um, but, you know, Ireland, the Ireland I grew up in is certainly gone it, and replaced by a much uh, better Ireland by whatever way you measure it, um, uh, you know, economically, socially, culturally, in terms of diversity. 
Um, yeah, so I, I, the, the last hundred years of, of we crammed a lot of progress into the last hundred years, and I'm looking forward to. Well, I, I'm not sure how many of the next hundred I'm around for, but <laughs> I'm looking forward to it anyway. Frank, what about you? Um, much the same, uh, Ambassador. Uh, of course, with with the pandemic back home, it was such a, a low key start to the year for such an important year, historical year. Uh, certainly, hope that things open up and we have the, the opportunity to uh, to reflect because I think it's important to reflect. And uh, we have, uh, you know, been working. Uh, the embassy and uh, has been leading on the program. We have a for the implementation of the Canada Irish strategy, and a key part of that is uh, is you know uh, looking at our past and and certainly on the ground level here in uh, in the continent in Vancouver, we did a, a benchmarking exercise of, of where we are now with the Irish Community Mapping Project. We did the trade directory with the Chamber of Commerce, the Irish Women's Network, then led on uh, the Family History Project, and uh, that will be launched in around St Patrick's Day because. It's important to celebrate not only uh, our 100 years of independence, but our 100 years of relationship with Canada. And, uh, and that, you know, an awful lot of people and the welcome that Canada has given the Irish and the opportunities it continues to give the Irish um, to this day, uh, whether it be on the two-year visa or whether it be permanent residency, access and citizenship, support for the peace process. It's still all there, trade relations, the goodwill. And... Uh, you know, sometimes I suppose with the pandemic, it's a, it's a good lesson to, you know, appreciate your friends. And uh, I think in this 100 year celebration, uh, one aspect that I know the embassy and, and ourselves will be looking at is, is how to celebrate 100 years of friendship with Canada. We went separate ways historically, and we are not no longer members of the Commonwealth, but uh, it'd be hard pushed to find uh, two countries who have such a huge shared values and shared history and that should be celebrated and uh, suppose at the moment everybody's concentrating on St. Bridges Fest on Celtic Fest once we get over that it'll be Bloomsday and it'll be uh, 100 years independence that's kind of a, a workload it's a business planning answer basically it's a fair <laughs> question it, well, it's right. a very fair point that sorry it's a very fair point that Frank raises and I, and I wrote an op-ed uh, a couple of months back saying, you know, that Canada was the future Ireland never had. And, and we kind of forget that Canada was the model for Ireland's future up until the 1916 rising. I mean, when, when John Redmond achieved at least home rule on the books, uh, in 1914, where did he go? He went on, uh, went on a tour of Canada, um, and was met as the hero. He was the man that delivered home rule for Ireland, uh, in the way that Canada that had won home rule for itself in, in 1867, you know, and very much Canada was the model that we looked to up until the 1916 rising. And then the 1916 rising kind of changes the demand there um, because we have been looking for home rule uh, from almost from the time that we lost our parliament in 1800. So in a way, uh, I think that relationship between Ireland and Canada, between the story of the Irish in Canada, it remains a largely untold one in, in many ways. And, and I have found, certainly, I know Frank has too, one of the real excitements of coming to Canada is having the opportunity to learn the story of the Irish in Canada. Uh, we know it from the United States. Uh, but we don't know it as much uh, uh, about about 
the Irish in Canada, and, and it's not known in Ireland, really. I'm not even sure it's known that well in Canada. So we have a couple of projects we've initiated. One, uh, we're looking to, to do a publication on 50 Irish lives in Canada, uh, and I've talked to a number of historians. And it's interesting that uh, when we started it, we were thinking, well, let's pick 50 lives in, in Canada of, of Irish people. And very quickly, within a matter of a day or two of emails flashing around, they, you know, we had to, we had to limit it to Irish born people. Because once you get into first generation, it, it's an avalanche of influential men and women who have shaped Canada. So I think that project, when we, when we finalize the list, I think Frank, you said we'll easily find 50, but we won't decide on the 50. I mean, that's the problem. But, you know, no matter what area of life you, you, you explore in Canada, whether it's business, science, politics, obviously, but also culture, exploration itself, you are going to find leading Irish men and women who have shaped it. And their stories and the overall contribution to the Irish, I think, has been included by the kind of emphasis on, you know, the, 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 the Anglo sphere, as it were, the relationship with Britain, Protestant Canada, Catholic Canada is kind of French first and then Irish. But there's certainly an epic story to be told there. Um, and uh, it's an important story to tell um, because of the contribution that the Irish made to Canada. Um, and the fact that both countries now share so many values and interests. You know, we're both very much uh, committed to uh, globalization, uh, committed to, you know, peace building, conflict resolution, uh, global trade, um, uh, admitting talent as, 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 as immigrants come into both Canada and Ireland and so on. So yeah, I think there's, there's a, there's a very rich agenda there for, uh, a boost to our bilateral relationship. Ambassador, I know one of the other projects you're working on at the moment is to do a bit like uh, was done out west and that is to do, uh, get information in the four valleys around the Ottawa area. And yes. the, do you want to talk a little about that? Yeah, I mean, I, we, it struck me that, you know, I mean, uh, that's telling the story of the Irish, a bit like charity starts at home, uh, the story of the Irish starts in and around Ottawa. And uh, the more I looked, the more the, the story kind of deepened, you know. Um, I mean, by uh, the 1871 census, a third, at least a third of the uh, population of Ottawa was Irish. When you think about that, and all concentrated in what was known as Lower Canada. So I kind of said, well, let's do a mapping exercise of the Ottawa Valley and uh, the Gatineau Valley. And then within a couple of days, well, let's do the four valleys. Let's do the Rideau, where, of course, the Irish made such a contribution in terms of building the canal. Um, and, and the Lawrence Valley, uh, St. Lawrence Valley itself. So we have a four valley mapping exercise underway. Um, we've, we've had a survey of what is the current footprint of the Irish in the four valleys. You know, the GA clubs, the bars, the, the dancing clubs, the cultural clubs and community organizations and so on. Um, and we're diving a bit more deeply into the history. So for example, we've, we've started to look at an exhibition on, um, the Irish of the Gatineau Valley which is a really fascinating story. I mean, it's in Quebec, but it's an English-speaking valley, essentially, which were, which was colonized by uh, the Irish. I mean, all of the farming in the Gatineau Valley was done by the Irish, and they arrived from about 1800 onwards. Um, you know, they worked in the lumber, the, the lumber fields, you know, cutting down the trees, and, and then they'd take a patch of land, dig up the stumps, that they'd make some money in the lumber in the lumber industry to, to to create the farms, and then they did create the farms and created a very rich local Irish 
culture in the Gatineau Valley. Um, and, um, you know, the, it, 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 it's remarkable that right on our doorstep, we have this microcosm of the epic Irish story, you know, um, in the Gatineau Valley. And we're blessed with a great Irish community. We've picked people, uh, you know, people have come around this project. Um, we have Donny Keneally who wrote a history of the low municipality, which was run by the Irish. Um, and of course, we had the great uh, Battle of Brennan's Hill in 1895, um, when, you know, the Irish hadn't been paying their taxes. And the reason why they hadn't was because the lumber barons had what was known as the Gatineau privilege, where they didn't have to pay tax when they took the great trees out of the Gatineau Valley. So they weren't paying any tax. They had, what, what they had done, they had to achieve themselves. And the authorities in Ottawa decided, well, that's not bearable. They sent up a few bailiffs who were given short shrift by wise bearing kettles of boiling water and whatnot, and they were sent on their way. So they decided to send the army up. And so the army marched up to uh, up the Gatineau Valley to get the tax, and, and uh, Neil McCrank was the mayor at the time, and he said, lads, we're not going to fight, because the Irish were already for a fight, so we're not going to fight, we're going to be good, good Canadian citizens. So they came to a deal, and um, the deal was that they'd pay future tax, they wouldn't pay the back tax. And legend has it that the soldiers went back with fewer rifles than they went up there, they sold them or gave them to the locals. But I thought it was a great story um, because it tells something about the Irish immigrants in Canada, that they made the decision to become good Canadian citizens. And Canada is a great example of people who were Irish, nationalists, Catholic, demanding home rule for Ireland, and yet loyal to the crown, the sovereign of Canada. And they joined, you know, the Canadian Expeditionary Forces in 1914 and so on and so forth. Um, but, yeah, that that story of the Irish of the Gatineau Valley is fantastic story because it is the epic story of the Irish in 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 microcosm as it were. But then, you know, you look at the great Irish like John Palliser and a Dublin man. He explored he was a great hunter and, and fantastic character. He explored all of the uh, all of the Northwest. And on foot of his uh kind of explorations, uh they decided to to call to stretch the borders of Canada. So John A. MacDonald says, yes, we're going to we're going to basically settle settle the Northwest and so on. And the model he picks for the police is the Royal Irish Constabulary. The Royal Canadian Mounted Police are based on on the Royal Irish Constabulary. And on and on it goes. You know, the, the uh, McGowan, the, the great naturalist, the founding father of 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 of, of, of the uh, natural sciences in, in 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 Canada was Irish. You know, um, the the deputy leader should have been the leader of the Franklin Exhibition was Irish. The guy who found the Franklin Exhibition was Irish. You know, in business, we had a huge influence of, of Irish businessmen and so on. The first guy to bring electricity to Ottawa was a guy called O'Hearn, whose father, I think, came from, from Ireland, certainly an, Ir- an Irish Canadian, you know. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's a tremendous story, which is waiting to be told, you know. And we're looking then, we're over time, it'll take us a while to get the full story of the Irish of the Ottawa Valley and so on and so forth, you know. So uh, you you put it there and sunk it. We're getting to that time where we are over time, but I do want to say, in line with um, what Frank said there about how important the Irish are, uh, I noticed how important we're viewed when on the 26th of December, Dollarama is starting to put up the Patrick's Day stuff. So uh, here it is that Christmas is over and the next major kid. <laughs> It's, it's not Valentine's Day. It is the next next major one is St. Patrick's Day. Um, so. 
the, the calendar is divided that way. Christmas, St. Right. Patrick's Day, and then Canada Day. Um, so the other thing I should uh, encourage people to keep an eye out for Ambassador is that the embassy is going to start. You're going to do a weekly blog and we're going to share it on Irish Radio Canada. Looking forward to doing that. Yeah, listen, thanks for the opportunity. It's just, uh, you know, it'll be a five-minute blog just on uh, a podcast rather on, on kind of, you know, news from Ireland and kind of things that are upcoming to keep an eye out for. And occasionally we'll tell some of the news stories that we find out about the the the, uh, the the story of the Irish in Canada. We'll be telling some of those things, you know. So good example um, when when we went up to um, we went up to uh, Nova Scotia. Uh, I, I paid a visit to the um, Heritage Park for the SS Atlantic, uh, and uh, this was a, a ship that sank in 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 1873. Loss of 500 lives. Uh, 540 lives almost and saved 400. All of the men, all of the women and children bar one child actually drowned in it. Uh, I mean, they basically bumped into Nova Scotia by mistake and sank. But the ship was built in Harland and Wolf. There was a huge uh, Irish contingent in the fatalities and there's going to be a commemoration of that on the 1st of April, uh, 2023, which we're, which we're, we're, we're contributing to. And then, again, that's just one small Tragic, but certainly epic story of 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 of, of the Irish and the, the North Atlantic Passage um, that did so much to define Canada. Well, Ambassador and uh, Consul General Frank Flood, I'm going to have to wrap up. Time is something that I can see the clock is ticking along. Um, I want to thank you both, uh, Frank. Did you want to wrap up with anything there before we say goodbye? No, listen, just to thank you again for the, the opportunity. It's always great to have a chat with you and uh, to wish yourself and the, the listeners a, a happy Lunar New Year. And uh, hopefully we, as many of us get to see each other in person as possible this year. And uh, uh, wish you every continued success with uh, Irish Radio Canada. Thanks a million. And Ambassador, thank you for your time. It's been a privilege and an honour to have both of you. Pleasure and, and best uh, best for the the new year for 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 you Austin and all your listeners and uh, look forward to to more chats in the future.